almost all the time that I am here, I am preaching, because it's what I do. I'm, I'm your preacher and your pastor. But there are the odd times where I am here, and I've asked somebody else to come and preach, and today is one of those days. But I, I can promise for most of you, you will not be disappointed. Our guest speaker today is Kevin Butcher. Kevin is currently the senior pastor at Hope Community Church in Detroit, Michigan. When Kevin planted Hope about 15 years ago, he called me and he said, I finally got my church in the hood. It is truly an inner city, multicultural church in a very difficult part of Detroit. And Kevin has an incredible heart for all races, for all people, especially those who might be dealing with the woundedness of this fallen world. You're going to hear more about that today. Before Hope, Kevin was at Grace Community Church in the Detroit area for about a decade and a half, and for a decade of that, I was his associate pastor, so that's my connection to Kevin. In fact, I, I could safely say, as I listed my mentors for you guys a while back, Kevin is, is probably clearly on the top of the list, at least as far as the men who have influenced me on how to preach, uh, how to uh, lead a church, and as you're going to see today, uh, more than anything else, how to know God and how to uh, journey in God's grace and love in such a way that goes way beyond uh, simply my salvation. Kevin is a very bright individual. He's a graduate of Taylor University uh, and also Dallas Theological Seminary where he studied church history and even received awards in his work on church history. Uh, probably the reason that, uh, that I wanted to bring Kevin in right now, because some of you after day, today are going to say, why haven't you brought him in before, uh, is that he just has been working on a book, or came out with a book that he's been working on for three years that's been published by Navigators Press, so a very reputable publisher, called Choose and Choose Again, The Brave Act of Returning God's Love. And I read some of the early chapters in this when Kevin was working on it, and, and I knew right then I needed to bring him in because this is a phenomenal book, really his life's work, and he's been on the radio, he's going to be doing a book signing in Detroit at Barnes and Nobles this week. I mean, they're really pushing this book a lot because it has a very unique and powerful message that our church and our world needs to hear. Uh, I ordered a bunch of these for us today. And so some of you are gonna wanna buy this book here and at our other campuses and venues. We have them for sale, uh, cut rate by the way, because we love you. And we're also gonna have Kevin out in front of the cafe after the service today, uh, signing them if you would like him to. And so uh, if you wanna meet him uh, and you're on the Shea campus here, you can do that after the service uh, and have him sign your copy uh, of the book. And so I, I gotta tell you, this is a real pleasure for me to have uh, a man who wasn't as my pastor and uh, and I really credit to the Lord using to help make me the man that I am and the pastor that I am so would you guys show a huge welcome to my friend Kevin Butcher It is a privilege to be here with uh, my friend, Jamie Raspison. And as I told uh, the Saturday night crowd, I want to say it again to all of you uh, and say it to him in front of you that uh, I am so proud of, of, of who you are. I think you know, we always long to hear about how proud folks are of us, of what we do. But that seems so external to us. It's something that comes out and it's out here. I, I really want to say again to you, my brother. I'm so proud of who you are. I trust your heart. Uh, I believe in your heart. I know that uh, 
you love God with your heart, and I know you love your people from your heart, and um, I'm just thankful to be in an intimate relationship with you. I love you, bro. So um, one of the things that always concerns me about coming to a new community, um, and I do a fair amount of going to new communities, is that you could be perceived as a talking head because, I mean, I don't know any of you except my friend Jamie, and, and you don't know me at all uh, outside of what he has shared with you about me. So just to give you just a little insight into a little more about who I am, just very briefly, here's a picture of my family um, uh, this summer, taken this summer, my wife, uh, Carla, 39 years, who is my very best friend, which doesn't mean we don't still fight like cats and dogs sometimes, because best friends do that, right? And um, some of us do anyway. If we're being honest, we're, we're two separate people. Um, but I love her with all of my heart. And um, then I've got my three daughters. Um, those girls have taught me so much about what it means to be a woman in today's culture that when I go speak to women's groups, sometimes I'll find myself addressing the sisters as we. Like, I'm one of them. Um, I mean, you grow, I mean, it, it, for 30 years, you know, it, girls, uh, my wife, uh, neutered dogs and cats, uh, you know, so it, I was the only male, so I kind of became one of the girls. And um, I've got two son in laws that, uh, they love my daughter so well, and they're, they're like sons to me. And I call them son. And then I've got a daughter who's single, who's out in Philadelphia. She's a professional dancer, doing well. And uh, I've got these precious grandkids. So, um, yeah, that's a piece of my life. And then, in fact, that's my heart. That is my heart. And then, this is a picture, just a picture of our uh, community, a, a, a shot where we gathered one day in the middle of the aisle in this 100-year-old building where we worship in, on the east side of Detroit, where we prayed over a sister and... Uh, We've got every kind of human being in this community. God has brought us folks from the east and the west and the north and the south. And we stay together for one reason, because we're so very different. We stay together because of the love of God and Jesus Christ. And that's really what I want to talk to you about this morning, uh, what I believe to be the most important concern on God's heart today, and that is that each of you, including myself, know today how much he loves you. Not just the world, but you. My experience with the love of God, I guess you could say started when I was five years old in 1982 when I was five. And um, <laughs> actually 1959. And um, trusted Christ at five. And of course I heard the word of God, John 3:16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So I guess at that moment I knew that he loved five-year-old me, but I've got to tell you that for the next 31 years of my Christian experience, I really didn't know, and I'm not talking left brain no, I knew the Bible verses, I was in a community where we memorized the Bible, we did the Bible drills, I often won those Bible drills, I knew the verses uh, backwards and forwards, but I really didn't know in my experience, if you're a scientist, you would say in my right brain where we do relationship, where we feel I didn't feel the love of God. I grew up in a very performance-oriented Christian community, a very performance-oriented family. And so I began to think that if you performed, you got some kind of love. 
until, and, until I went to a Christian university. I played football at this small school and went out and gave my testimony, just performed, performed, became an All-American football player, wanted the accolade. I wasn't really, I never really thought I was that good, but I outperformed folks that had more gifts than I did because I was just so into performing to get the approval, to get the love, that that's the way I thought it worked. Went to Dallas Theological Seminary, performed some more, got out. First church, second church that was a dead church. And, and, and when I hit the age of 36, we were just turning the corner. Eventually that church grew from 150 to a couple thousand people. And I was just performing the heck out of Christianity. Until one night at the end of another performance where I'd gone out and, and, and you know, given some kind of a talk and everybody had applauded and said, that's really cool. When can we hear you again? On the way back down 94, I hit the Allard overpass. And within a gnat's eye, I was a gnat's eyelash away from the emptiness inside me. I didn't even know what it was at that time. I almost drove off the, I, it was like this close to driving off and hitting that cement embankment because I didn't want to live anymore. I'd come to the end of the treadmill. I just couldn't do it anymore. And if God wouldn't have passed my three little girls' faces that were just a mile away where we lived in front of my face, I think I would have taken my life that night. I came back and, and basically fell on my face and I said, God, what is the problem, man? I've, you know, I've got five and a half years of Greek, two years of Hebrew. I know all the words. All, all, I, I know about you loving others. What is it that I don't get about that for me? And if you don't show me, if I don't begin to understand that you love me, I'm gonna be back out on that freeway. And a couple of days later, miraculously, I couldn't tell you who gave me this book, but a copy of Brennan Manning's Ragamuffin Gospel landed in my lap. And that brother, that recovering, and we know now from his last book, not so recovering sometimes, ex-alcoholic priest, but a son of the living God, reached out through the pages of that book and gave me, at the age of 36, I've been a believer now, 31 years, my first experience of the Father's love. And I wept my through that way through that book and that put me on a journey that's been 26 years long that leads me here to you today. And on that journey, I think I've learned three things, uh, maybe more, but at least three things uh, about the Father's love that I'd like to share with you this morning before we go to the Lord's table. And most of them, I think all three of them really are embodied in these verses that come out of the last words of Jesus to his disciples in the Upper Room Discourse. John 13, of course, is at the very beginning. He's just washed the disciples' feet, including Peter, including Judas, as an expression of the way he loves them. And, and this is what he says um, in John 13. You'll see it on the screen. He says, basically, contextually, he says, I'm leaving, you're staying. And if the world's going to see anything of me, if they're going to know anything of me and who I am, it's going to be through you because I'm gone and you can't go with me. And so he says, this is the commandment I'm giving to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, this is what I think we skip. We're gonna come back here in a moment. We think, well, everybody gets it that they're loved, don't they? Well, I know that I didn't for 31 of my 36 years on the planet. By this love, all will know that you're my followers if you have love one for another. So it, it starts in us and with us. And then, uh, the upper room discourse, and then he ends in John 17 with what is uh, affectionately known as the high priestly prayer, and he says, Father, I don't pray for these alone, meaning his uh, 11 disciples who remained, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that would be us, that they all may be one, that the impact of that love that I talked to them about in John 13 would be so pervasive that they wouldn't be divided 
ethnically and racially. They wouldn't have black churches over here and white churches over here and Puerto Rican churches over here and El Salvadoran churches here and Japanese churches here and Chinese churches here and Pentecostal churches here and um, Baptist churches here and Presbyterian churches here and independent Bible churches over here. And you know, we could go on because today we're divided into 40,000 different factions. I know that's true because I heard it on the History Channel. <laughs> there are over 200 kinds of Baptists. He says, Father, that they may be one because of that love that I've put in them first, that they would love one another, that if, if they would be one because of that love, that the world may believe that you sent me. If they'll be one, the world will get it, that I come from God. Are you kidding me? And we think we have to answer every apologetic question that a non-believer has. That's how we're going to lead him to Christ. Let me just get the sinner's prayer down right. Let me go to enough homes. Let me harass enough people. You know, I want them to be saved, don't I? Of course we do. Jesus said, this is how they'll, they'll be coming to you. They will be drawn to you because non-believers are, are struggling with the very same things that you and I are struggling with. The biggest thing that the enemy has done since since Adam pointed his finger at Eve and since Cain smashed the skull of Abel as he's been dividing us relationally. Wouldn't you agree that the greatest wounds that we experience are relational wounds? Severance from our children, our grown children, maybe our exes and, and old relationships that though we felt like we couldn't make it anymore, there's just so much wound there and racial divisions and ethnic divisions and class divisions and are you kidding me this election i mean we're, they're talking vitriolic venom and acid with other human beings sons and daughters of god relational wounding everywhere the non-believing world they want to know if there's any hope for that they don't care about our theology primarily what they want to know is are you guys getting anything from jesus that will help me and Jesus said, well, I'll tell you, if you'll show them that the love that I've put in you has broken down the walls that have caused us to want to separate and divide and hate one another, they'll be saying, now, before I even know anything about your theology, I know you've got something that I need because I'm wounded in my spirit. I want what you've got. Can you tell me? And then, of course, we tell them about Jesus. And the glory which you gave me, I have given them that they may be one just as we are one. I and them, you and me, that they may be made perfect in one and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. So I've already tipped my hat. The very first thing that I've learned from these verses um, on my journey to experience the love of God is that Jesus makes it very, very clear that his love in us and through us is intended to heal the world. Um, it's not about campaigns. It's not about great strategies. It's not about door-to-door, -door, although that's cool. Nothing wrong with it, but that isn't how the world's going to be reached. The world's going to be reached once we receive the love, give it to one another, and show the world that that love can heal everything that the enemy has perpetrated upon us. Philip Yancey, um, one time, he tells the story that he went to a, a Hindu scholar. He was having a dialogue with a Hindu scholar. And, you know, Hinduism is is about caste, it's about division. There's 5,000 different castes. And this Hindu scholar said, we can reproduce any miracle in Christianity that you all can come up with except one. And of course, Yancey said, that must be the resurrection. He goes, no, we can do that. In fact, if you read the Vedic literatures, 
They have resurrection story and what we might say is mythology, but they would call their history. So resurrection is no problem for a Hindu. He said, you know what we can't do? Now, listen carefully. He said, what we can't do is that Galatians thing where there's neither Jew nor Greek, male nor female, slave nor free, but everybody is one in Christ. You know what he said? He said to Philip Yancey, if we ever as Hindus saw that, we would know that the true God was in the house. Ironically, exactly what Jesus says in John 17. Of course, this is the way the early church grew. There were, the statisticians tell us that there were about 10,000 believers at the end of the first century after the apostle John died. But by the time of Constantine, somewhere between 15 to 20 million, they had no Facebook, they had no stadium events, they had no literature, they didn't even have a copy, most of them, of the text. What they had is what Jesus said, a new commandment I give. I've loved you. Experience my love. Take in my love. Let me love you first. Then love one another because only love will keep you together. There's just too much mess. There's too much fallenness. There's too much flesh. And once the world sees that you've got something that they need that will heal them because it's healing you, they will come to me. 20 million believers at the time of Constantine from 10,000. How? Because of the power of this love. Just one more thought before I move to number two. Well, when I came to the, to the neighborhood where I'm, I'm pastoring now, I mean, I didn't know what I was doing. You know, people will come now and serve with us and say, um, you know, did you write your book about how to strategically change an urban community? I said, I have no book. This is the only book I had. So what I did have is my experience of the love of the Father. After not having it for 31 years, I began to know that he loved me. And it filled me and overwhelmed me so that when I was with folk, I could not give it away. To me, evangelism is not like, let me get the words right so I can go and say them right and convince somebody to make this decision. Evangelism is saying, do you know that there's someone who loves you with all of their, their heart, that they just love you? They love you so much they died for you. They love me. They love you. And by the way, did I tell you that they love you? And so what I would do is, in this community, you walk out the front door of our church and there'll be a couple of guys, four or five guys on the street corner just, you know, smoking and, and joking and a uh, little weed, selling a little weed. I mean, it was just right there, it was right there. And uh, so I would go up and I would just give away what I had. And I, for, I'm thinking of one young man named Derek Dunbar. I took his hand one day and I pulled him close and I put this arm around him and uh, I put my face up next to his cheek and uh, uh, said, my name's Kevin, pull back after a little while. And I said, this is the church where um, I serve. And I said, if you ever want to hang out, I'd love to just get to know you, just who you are. And I would do that periodically with quite a few of the guys. In fact, if you, if you, if you get the book that we've talked about this morning, uh, you, you'll read the story of Canal Delbridge, very same way I met him with a hoodie one day, very same way, because that's all I had. And... Um, a few uh, years later, uh, Derek had left the community. He came back to a Bible study we were hosting with some other young people from the community, and he was just making fun of me, man. That day he goes, hey, Pastor Kevin, remember how you used to come out and hug us? He goes, man, we don't even hug each other like that, bro. He said, we don't, we don't, we don't like, you hugged us and you like kept us like there. 
he said, we do this kind of hug, like boom, you know, it's like boom, that's okay, but you don't be coming up and doing this. And then you put your face up right next to ours, man, you can't do that. And so I would just sit there with my hands in my pockets going, yeah, I know I was kind of, and then I said, I don't know why I said this, but I said, Derek, what do you think now? He goes, oh, now I know that you love me. Jesus makes it very clear. This is not like sidebar theological information. You don't have to be a Greek scholar. It's very clear. He makes it very clear. His love in us and through us is intended to heal the world. Number two, and this is the problem that many of us struggle with Jesus' words in John 13, as I have loved you. In other words, I believe with all of my heart today, many of us, because remember, I'm you and you're me. Seminary degrees don't mean anything in terms of being people. We're, we're people, we have all the same needs. And so there are many of us here today who are really asking the question. And you've been asking it for a long time in your life. We sang some cool stuff today um, about the love of the Father. It's really good truth, but does he really love me? And if you don't mind me saying it this way, I think some of us have bought a lie from the enemy that all we need is to know that the scripture says it to be so, and that's enough. And I think that is a lie. I'm not saying it's not important that the scripture says it is so. Of course it's important. It's the story of God's redemptive plan. But to illustrate, I was sharing with a, a campus crusade group that came to our community to serve and sharing with some of the students about this experience, love of God and the need to experience it, to be able to be filled up to the point that you could give away that love to others in the world. And the director of that group uh, interrupted me and said, uh, he said, well, that's really cool, Kevin, and I'm sure some people need that, but he said, I know that I'm loved because the Word of God says it's so. And of course, what are you supposed to say at that point? I mean, if you say, well, I mean, it's quite a statement, a statement of faith, you know? I didn't want to disrupt his uh, leadership, and, and yet I knew it to be not enough, and so I said, um, Nate, do you mind if I uh, address that? And he goes, no, go ahead. And I said, all right, if I was your dad, and I asked you one day, at the age that you are right now, which is like 28, 29, I said, if I asked you if, how you knew that I loved you, and you said, well, that, uh, Dad, when I was seven, you sent me a birthday card. You were out of town, as usual, on business, but you sent me a birthday card, and in the birthday card, it said at the bottom, I love you, son. And so whenever I doubt whether you love me or not, I carry that birthday card around with me, and I pull it out, and if I doubt that you love me, I just read it. It's right there. It says, you love me. I said, if that's what you told me, son, I would be devastated because I would know that words on a card on printed page would not be enough. If you didn't tell me that it was about that I took you to see the Cubs play and that I bought you everything in the, in the concession stand, not to make you sick, but to the point that you would get sick, that, 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 that I, was, I was there for you, asking you about what was going on in your heart, that I would embrace you, that I would put you to bed at night, that I would regularly tell you how much you meant to me, that I would hug you and that I would kiss you. If there weren't a dozen other ways that you could say to me that, that you knew that I loved you, I would know that I had failed because that card, those words on the printed page would not be enough to sustain you through life. I think you get the point. We, we have bought a lie that all we really need is the printed page. We are meant, as in any relationship, to experience the love of the Father. When he said, love one another as I've loved you, he means as you have experienced my love for you.
If he didn't mean that, then why did Jesus, when he was explaining to the Pharisees and the tax collectors and the sinners, those two groups in Israel, about who the father was, why when he was telling the story about the prodigal son, why didn't he say, well, the son decided to leave the far country, he was on his way home, and the father was sitting in his easy chair and he sent his son a telegram that said, read these words, I love you, now you know. Instead, it says he pulled up his robes because he had never left that window. He had been watching for his son to come home the whole time. And when he saw that head come up over that hill, he took those robes, he girded his loins, and he started sprinting, lost all dignity because Hebrew fathers with dignity would never run like that. He lost all dignity because the love overpowered the dignity to go out and meet that son. And before the son even had a chance to repent, he threw his arms around his neck and he hugged him and he kissed him. The text says he had compassion upon the son who had basically flipped him off and told him that he wanted him dead. And then he brought him four gifts, the most precious things in the household. And then he had a party because he said, my son has come home. Are you kidding me? How have we bought it that all we need is the printed page? We're meant, it is the will of God for you and me today as his sons and daughters to experience his love. The most important piece of theology in Ephesians 3 is that prayer that Paul prays when he said, I'm praying for everyone, all of you, sons of the Father, that you might know the love of Christ, that you might be rooted in it and grounded in it, that you might know it in a way, that high and wide and deep and powerful love of God, that you might be filled with all of his fullness. It is not enough, my brother and sister, if we only know it in our left brain. If we only know it in our left brain today, we are empty. We're trying to fill up that emptiness with everything and anything because nature abhors a vacuum. If that love is not experienced that fills us up, then we're gonna have trouble loving the world to Christ. So if I asked you today, if it was safe enough for you to be totally honest. Do you know his love in that prodigal son way? Do you know his love in that rooted and grounded and filling way that Paul talks about? What would you say? And if, you're, and if you're struggling to say, I don't know, there's something that's uncomfortable, can I just list a few symptoms of that emptiness for you? And by the way, I didn't get these symptoms out of a book. I got them out of my own life. This is the way I lived for 31 years of my Christianity. Try these on for size. Do you find yourself this morning being very unsure of yourself, maybe even secretly at times hating yourself? It's kind of tough to admit that, isn't it? Can you imagine coming in from the uh, parking lot this morning and you see somebody, you know, you park next to each other every week, you know, maybe, you, I don't know, if you're like most humans, you might have your favorite seat, you might have your favorite parking spot. So you, hi, Fred, another Sunday, good to see you. Hi, Susan, good to see you. And what if they said, how are you doing this morning, Fred? Really, he goes, well, I'm doing pretty good. I hate myself, but otherwise I'm fine. <laughs> it just doesn't... It's like we may feel it, but it's like we feel like we need to hide that. It's like too shameful to speak it. But some of us today, I know, I was a pastor telling everyone in a growing community about the love of God, that God loved them, but I hated myself. How about this one? Are you constantly looking for approval? It makes sense to want someone to affirm you once in a while, 
but when we try to live on it. My old seminary professor, Dr. Howard Henricks, used to say, treat compliments like perfume. Smell them, but don't swallow them because they can't sustain you. Do you find yourself wanting to be nurtured and filled with approval, but it never really does? How about this one? Do you find yourself being critical of others? If you find yourself, when I'm most critical of my precious best friend, Carla, it's almost always because that day, I'm not hearing the voice of the father calling me his beloved son. That day, I'm hearing the voice of the enemy telling me I'm a, I'm a big piece of nothing. How about this one? Do you find yourself having difficulty in relationships? Maybe chronically can't seem to sustain intimate friendship. Could it be that you're trying to get someone else, a human being, to fill up a place inside you that only the Father's love was intended to fill? Some of our marriages are in trouble today because you're trying to get that husband or that wife to be something for you that they can never be. I'm not saying they don't have issues. I'm saying maybe the primary issue is you trying to make them fill up something that your Abba Father says, I'm the only one who can fill that void with my great love for you. Try this one on for size. Do you find yourself being defined by things that are outside of you, like grades or success or other awards? Nothing wrong with education, but I can tell you whether it's a, a, a bachelor's degree or a master's in theology or a PhD or whatever, you'll have your moment of euphoria when you walk across the stage and then it goes on the wall and, and em emptiness will still be inside. If that's what you carried into the program, that's what you'll carry out of it. Only the love of God can fill up that hole. Do you find yourself being never at peace, constantly driven? And you might say, well, I'm, I'm just wired that way. I have a lot of energy. Maybe, or maybe when we slow down, those internal voices that tell us we're nothing, those voices from the past that tell us we'll never be anything, those voices from our family of origin or from some boss or some church experience that tell us we're no good, that we're filled with shame, Maybe those voices start to speak so loudly that we say, I better get active again because when I'm active, when I'm working 70 hours a week, I can't feel the pain of that emptiness that those voices shout into my experience. Or finally, how about any addictive tendency that you might find yourself involved with? In my community, for many, it might be crack cocaine or heroin or alcohol or some kind of illicit sexuality, but it, we can try to fill that emptiness with success or for heaven's sakes, even with teaching Sunday school, unless it's coming out of a filling that we have from the love of God. It's something we're trying to use to fill up an emptiness that it will never fill. Some of you might say, well, that's an interesting list and I have a few of those symptoms, but I'm pretty functional. I get up every day, I go to work. I haven't gone to prison yet. Um, I go to my children's, grandchildren's Little League games. That's cool. Did Jesus save you to be functional? Is the non-believing world going to be drawn to functional? Galatians 5.1 says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. 
and only the love of Christ can fill up that emptiness that's inside all of us and set us free. The world hasn't come to Christ, in my view, not because we're not trying to love the world to Christ. I think we are. I think we've crossed that bridge. I think the world hasn't come to Christ because we have not yet understood how much we are loved. And that brings me to the third thing that I have, um, I think, learned over these years, and I'm still learning. At some point on our journey, we've got to begin to heal and experience the Father's love. At, look, at some point, this is part A of your journey with Jesus, and there is no part B until we're living into part A. And I, I, I'm going to give you a few thoughts about this journey, but I'm, I'm hesitant to because sometimes when we give these kinds of a thought, uh, thoughts, it's all of a sudden people are going, okay, finally we're getting to the lists of how to fix all this because, you know, that's what we want. We want lists. Give me the Bible verses. Give me the practical teaching. Give me the list because then I can replace my old list with this new list. I, I, I don't, I'm not trying to give you a list. I think I'm trying to share with you um, a new way of being in relationship with a God who calls himself your father and mine. And, and, and I want you to think process because each of the things that I'm gonna share with you right now in these last few moments that I have to be with you, I live into these ways of being with my Abba every day. Otherwise, and I'm, I'm an empty man, I'm a dead man walking. But when I live into these ways of being with my Abba, I am full and I am alive. So here's, here's the first way of being. Can we begin this morning to believe, some of us who have never believed this until this morning, that it is not the will of my Father for me to live empty anymore? If you had courage today, and if it was the format for this, I wish someone could stand up and say, I'd like to believe it, but I just can't. And I would ask if I could approach you, and I would come back, and I would simply stand there and be with you, and I'd probably put my hand on your arm. And if you didn't flinch or pull back, I'd, I'd probably begin to see if I could come closer and I would just want to put my arm around you. And I just want to stand there quietly with you for just a moment, just letting the love that I have for my father begin to become part of the love that he has for you. And I would want to tell you it's okay to be right where you are. It's all right. I'm so proud of you for being honest that you don't know it. Don't know if you ever can know it. But I would like to suggest to you in that intimate moment of embrace that this is your day when you might be able to believe that the Father doesn't just love all of these folks in spite of all the pain you've been through, in spite of the moments when you felt abandoned, you didn't understand how he was being in your life, all the things that have made you say, you must not love me. I must be that stepchild out there somewhere that you're, you're not loving. These sons and daughters are the real thing, but not me. Maybe this is the day I would say to you that you can begin to believe with that tiny mustard seed of faith that your heavenly father indeed loves you. Now, if you can begin to cross that bridge, there's some work to do. It, it's some work of recovery. It's some work of healing. And so secondly, I would say as a way of being, we've got to begin to recognize the wounding origins of our emptiness and turn toward the father for the love that we need. Listen, you and I were not born not believing that the Father loves us. 
In fact, God thought it was so important that we know from the, from the moment that we come into a family system that we're loved, that in Deuteronomy 6, which is known as the great Shema of Israel, that an Orthodox Jew will recite morning and evening to this day. They start out by saying, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And then they say, Teach your children. Of course, teach them the commandments, but teach them to what? To love the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, and mind. And it's interesting that in Deuteronomy 4, before Deuteronomy 6 and the Shema, Moses says, don't forget that God loves you. Deuteronomy 7, after the Shema, he says, don't forget that the Father loves you. He pulled you out of Israel, out of Egypt. When you had done nothing, he just chose you because he loves you. And so we've got kind of this Oreo cookie of amazing practical theology. You've got God loves you. You've got God loves you. And in between, you've got that cream filling center of wondrous. Now we can love him in return. And God says through Moses, you tell your children about that love. When you rise up, when you lie down, when you go out, when you come in, Write it on your forehead. Write it on your forehead. Why? Because God knew that if, our, if as children we get it, that we're loved through the love that our parents get because they've received it from their father, that we'll have what we need to sustain us and fill us for a lifetime. But if we don't get that love, because maybe mom and dad don't know that love, then we'll be raised in a degree of emptiness that will provide a vacuum that we can literally spend the rest of our lives looking to fill. And it never gets filled until we re-engage the love of our Father. Some of us like to not like Howard Stern. And I understand he's kind of a, an angry kind of a cat, wouldn't you say? One day in a magazine, uh, I was reading on an airplane on the way back from somewhere, I read the story of an interview with Howard Stern where he said, um, you know, when I'm, he said, when I was growing up, my dad abused me and berated me constantly. And he said, even today when I'm on my show, now get this, this is a direct quote. He said, when I'm on my show berating someone else, I can still hear my father's voice in my ears berating me how could Howard Stern hear the father say, you're my son, Howard, my beloved son, until he heals from the abuse and allows that voice of his dad to recede into the distance? Some of you, including me, have been terribly wounded, if not by the home, even inadvertently by the home, then by culture and maybe even by some church experience. We've got to, at some point, say, there are places that my enemy who has come to steal, kill, and destroy has tried to keep me from knowing the Father's love, and I need to seek healing for those wounds so I can begin to hear my Father's voice. I can begin to turn and not live out of those wounds any longer. I had a guy the other day who wrote me, who had read the book and wrote me a letter, and he said, I'm 52 years old. I've been living to perform all these years for love. And he said, I finally realized. I turned back, and I looked at my child. He said, there it was, first grade. I didn't pass. All my friends went on. I was the laughing stock. He said, I buried that wound and I've been living out of that wound for the rest of my life. I've driven my wife away from me. I've driven my kids away from me. He goes, it's over. He said, I'm working on healing from that. Now I've turned toward my father 
I'm going to begin to hear his voice calling me his beloved son. Here's a verse to help you on this path of your journey. For you did not receive the spirit of God bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. He is our creator, but he says, you don't have to relate to me primarily as creator. Relate to me as your Abba, your, the Aramaic word for Dada. I am your teacher. I am your Lord. But don't primarily relate to me that way. Cry out to me, Abba, Father. As you heal from the past, we make a turn toward looking to our Abba for his love for the rest of our life. And then finally, and this is last, we need to begin to experience this Father love in the body of Christ. It's fascinating that after 30 or so years of neurobiological research, the scientists are telling us that where we carry the wounds of being unloved are in our right brain. I'm not a scientist, so I don't understand all of that, but they're somehow located here in our right brain. And they say the amazing thing is we can be healed from those wounds. And listen to this. This is scientific reality. I haven't quoted you a Bible verse yet. This is just scientific truth. They say the way we can be healed from the damaging effect of unlove is by being loved. Are you surprised then that 1 Peter chapter 4, and this is written by a man who was there in John 13 and John 17. In fact, this is a man who, who denied his Savior and was healed by his love on the shores of Galilee. He says, but the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, of course, be serious and watchful in your prayers. Don't stop praying. And above all things, and you know what the Greek word, Jamie has taught you this, you know what the Greek word for above all things is? You know what the Greek translation, the best translation for above all things is from the Greek, above all things. <laughs> above all things, have fervent love for one another. For that love will cover you can translate safely, heal a multitude of sins. And where is that love supposed to be experienced? He was writing to the church in Asia Minor. The healing for your wounds by the love that heals the effect of unlove, the filling to replace your emptiness, my brothers and sisters, is right here in your man. I wish I could come around today and just do what I talked about earlier and just be with each of you and pause time and see if the love that the Father has deposited in me that is hovering around some of you, but it, it's only hovering because you haven't been able to receive it yet. I wish I could pause and be with each of you and say, tell me a piece of your story. Tell me about your journey. Tell me about your tears. Tell me about your disappointments. Share with me your questions. And let's just let Jesus, the one who said when two or three are gathered, 
I'll be there to do what? What he said he came to do, heal the brokenhearted and set the captives free. Just by being together. It wouldn't be that I'd had answers for you, but I have the love of God in Christ, which will heal you. And in turn, as you are with me, will heal me. But I can't do that today. So what I'm going to ask permission to do in this last five minutes is uh, I'm going to give you something to watch that the Israeli community does every Friday night before Passover or before the Sabbath. The father brings his um, sons and daughters to him and he gives them a personal Sabbath blessing every Friday night of their life. To do what? To show them the love of the great Shema in Deuteronomy 6 because it's a way for them to embody and to communicate and to experience that healing love as a regular part of their rhythm. So I usually pray when I come to a community like this if I'm going to do this blessing. And I got to tell you, Gilbert, you got a tag, so that means you probably have a job here today. And so I'm not trying to interrupt your job. But um, would, would you mind doing this little role play with me? Would that be all right? My name's Kevin, by the way. How old are you, son? 47. All right, I'm 62. I would have been a 15-year-old dad, which wouldn't have been um, perfect, but it's possible. <laughs> Last night, I blessed a 71-year-old, and uh, it was a beautiful experience, but... Uh, yeah, I was nine years his junior. So Gilbert, I'd like to kneel in front of you if that'll be all right. And I'm just gonna pray a blessing or speak a blessing to you. What I want you to do here, my brothers and sisters, is um, first of all, begin to ask the Father to show you what it would have been like if you would have received this kind of a blessing once in your family of origin. I'm not blaming your mom and dad, I am a dad. We make mistakes. I'm just saying, you've got to start with what's real, not with what you wish was. What would it have been like if you would have received this kind of healing blessing? Secondly, since that's past, needs to be grieved if you didn't get it. What would it be like if you began to believe that your heavenly father, your Abba, is blessing you like this every moment of every day? He's speaking this loving truth to you as his sons and daughters. How would that change? How would that heal? How would that fill your life? God bless you, son. I remember when you were born 47 years ago. It was the greatest day of my life. And I've watched you grow, and I've watched you become, I've watched you do so much. I'm so proud today to sit over here as they said, if you've been in the service, would you stand? I'm so proud to see my son stand for what you have done for our country. When you were playing ball in high school, proud of you then. And by the way, I was just as proud of you when you let that winning touchdown score than when you scored the winning touchdown. Because here's the truth, Gilbert. I've never been more proud of you, actually, than I was the day you were born, before you had done anything. I just love you 
not because of what you do, but because of who you are. And you, Gilbert, are my son. I know the world is not always kind. The world is not always going to honor you like that. The world is not always going to bless you like that. But I want to tell you, Gilbert, as your dad, there's nothing you could ever do to make me not love you. I might be angry at you sometimes. You might be angry at me. That's all right. But you need to know that I will always love you. And when you're out there somewhere in the world and it gets rough, I mean, and the, the bullets, literal or physical, start flying, you need to know that as your father, if I know you need me, I'll crawl on my knees to get there, to cover you up with my spirit and my body, no matter what the circumstance, because I love you, son. I will always love you. I've never not loved you, and I will be with you until my last breath. So may the Lord bless you and keep you, son. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you. And may the Lord give you of his peace. My father, I pray that you will speak that love to my brothers and sisters in the deepest, woundest places of their hearts now and give them hope that a long journey of receiving that love and being filled with that love lies ahead. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. for some of you uh, that's extremely moving for others of you that is incredibly intense in fact it I know you guys it might be a level of intimacy and intensity that you certainly weren't prepared for when you walked in today and, and you don't even know what to think of that I, I will tell you this however I was thinking about this long last night and I've seen I've, I've been with Kevin for decades and so I, I know his heart and and his ministry and, and I was and, and I've served under him so long uh, I was thinking last night to myself, you know, if, if that made you very uncomfortable, you're going to want to get comfortable with it because I don't know what you think it's going to be like when you eventually go to see Jesus face to face. But it's going to be very similar to that. He's going to grab you. He's going to heal every hurt. He's going to look you in the eye. He's going to grab you behind your head. He's going to say, I love you. Welcome home. And honestly, you're not going to feel uncomfortable in that moment. In that moment, you're not going to say, well, gee, that's a bit intense, Jesus. I don't know if I want that. You're not, you're not going to say that. Your soul is going to be prepared for that. And doesn't it say something about you now, some of you men especially, that that just feels uncomfortable? Well, what does that say? I tell you, it, it, it's not about Jesus. It ain't about Kevin. It's not about God. It's about your journey. And if nothing else comes out of today, what, what I hope comes out of it is that now more than ever on your radar, is the Father heart of God for you. Because I will tell you this, and I, I know this as a, as a fact, Kevin is spot on today when he says that, that what is in you, that the God who is in you, the spirit that fills you, and the experience you have with him, that will determine the quality of your relationships, the impact of your outreach. Us as a church, it's not about technique, it's about relationship. It's about being with God. 
And I, I couldn't be more glad that Kevin came and shared today what he has shared as intense as it might feel for some of us. This is real stuff. And God really does love you that much and in that way. One of the things that God has done to show us his intense love for us in history is by coming to this planet in Jesus and dying as an atonement for our sins. That Jesus said in John 15, greater love has no one than to give his life for his friend. And he says, I've called you friends. And then he gave his life for us. One of the things that we do as regulars at church to get in touch with that is our communion time of worship, the Lord's Supper. So the servers are going to come forward now. We're going to hand out to you the, the bread and the juice. But maybe today for the first time you see that bread and juice in a little different way. Maybe today for the first time you see this not as just a religious or even faith-filled exercise, but as a symbols, two symbols of his love for you, of the intimacy of the upper room, of, of actually John right there next to Jesus, laying his head on his breast and being close to his Savior. And then Jesus pulling out the Passover meal and saying, this is my body, this is my blood given for you. And then shocking them by saying, a new commandment I give you, as I have loved you so love one another. Maybe now you see these elements in a different light. And maybe today will be a special day as you partake of the Lord's Supper. So we're gonna hand out the elements to you right now. We ask you to hold them, worship. Troy's gonna lead us in a worship song. Maybe this is a time of prayer for you, a time of singing, maybe just solitude. And hold the elements, and then I'll lead us in partaking together. God, anoint this time by your Spirit. Anoint it with your love. In Jesus' name, amen.